You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to the PowerCat Podcast, GoPowerCat.com's Kansas State Athletics Show. Make sure you're subscribing to our show at Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, from the GPC studios, here's your host, GoPowerCat publisher, Tim Fitzgerald. Welcome to an edition of the PowerCat Recruiting Podcast. I am Tim Fitzgerald, publisher of GoPowerCat.com, and I'm joined on the phone by Ryan Wallace, our recruiting editor at GPC, as we kind of bring to a conclusion the 2022 recruiting effort, even though it's ongoing. There's still some spots available. Maybe they'll be filled with fresh recruits or transfer portal guys. We will see as the process goes on. But we're going to dig into what we know as of now after Kansas State announced four new recruits with the late signing period last week at a press conference. And before we plunge into our questions from Wabash Station, just a few reminders here. One, you got to be a member at GoPowerCat to ask the questions on our podcast. And the best way to do that is take advantage of one of the deals we're offering right now at GoPowerCat. If you want to get all of our recruiting coverage and all of our VIP analysis and commentary and all the good stuff, I know a lot of you love the daily deliveries. You love the podcast. You love the stuff we do that is around the edges. But if you want to really get to the heart of our coverage of Kansas, Kansas State Athletics, you need to become a Go Powercat VIP. Become a member and you can pick your deal. You can head over right now. If you're not a subscriber, you can click that join button. It's a bright green, lime green at the top, and it'll take you to the subscription page. You can go VIP for one buck for your first month if you just want to give a test drive. One buck. That's it. And then you'll be a monthly subscriber at $9.95 a month, or you can just jump right in, get an annual subscription for 30% off. That deal's up, and I don't know when it's going to end, but make sure you get over to Go Powercat and become a GPC VIP. I would encourage you to hit that annual button and get that seven-day free trial so you can back out if you hate us. I don't think you will, but at 30% off your annual subscription. And let's just dive right in. And we're going to start, Wally, with El Camino Cat because it always brings some great questions. But here's a good opener. K-State only signed 17 recruits in this class. Will this size become typical going forward due to transfers, or should we expect more normal 25-person classes in the future? I would venture to guess that it probably will be this way. Um, and I'd, I'd be curious on your thoughts is that uh, on that as well, Fitz. But I, I would guess that we're you know, there could be years um, that, that you see it creep up a little bit higher. But I, I think if we're speaking kind of purely from a junior college or a high school uh, scholarship standpoint of, of how many of those kids sign and not transfer portal, I would be surprised if, you know, it, I would think around 20, you know, will kind of become the average. And like you pointed out, you know, you're looking at what, 17 um, uh, counting, I guess, Tyson Struber. um who I believe is going to blue shirt, but still uh, a signee that, that came in for the scholarship wise will count towards 2023 signed with 2022. So, you know, give or take a, a few here and there, I would, I would venture to guess 20 
Um, but it's interesting because, you know, when you go and look at um, what some of the other teams around the Big 12 did in 2022, their numbers were a little bit higher. I, I think all in all, it turned out to be uh, higher than I thought it would be. You know, scholarship counts continued, you know, throughout the course of the last year to be one of the kind of narratives around college football. And yet you ended up with, um, you know, Texas having 28 commitments um, and then everybody else was kind of in the. 20 to 22 margin. You had Texas Tech at 18, um, K-State at 17, TCU at 14, and obviously KU only at seven. Um, but then they also added a big transfer portal hall. So I, I would think that K-State will hover right around 20 um, and kind of be with the rest of the Big 12. Um, and then depending on year, you might have a year like Texas had where they had a bunch of players leave um, and that opened up some openings and you might get up to where Texas was this year with 28 um, or, you know, you could have other years where they're even lower. I think a lot of that will just depend on, on a year to year thing. But again, Fitz, we talked about it before. One of the big reasons for the K state's particular class of 2022 was a little on the lower end this year was because of the blue shirts. Um, um, blue shirts seem to, they're, they're tricky. <laughs> You've got to manage them very closely and um, again, for those that don't know about blue shirts, but essentially you are borrowing a scholarship from the upcoming year. You know, so Tyrone Howell was a blue shirt. Uh, DJ Gins was a blue shirt. A um, number of other guys, Damian Alalio, I, I believe, was a, a blue shirt. So they had, uh, I want to say, five, maybe six in, the, in last year's cycle that actually counted towards this year. And so that's another reason why you saw K-State you know, hovering around 17 signees. I believe Kate Warner was a blue shirt. Yes, and yes. You know, signing those one-and-done blue shirts is a recipe for disaster. They don't count the year they play, weirdly enough, but they do count the year after they leave. And mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Cade Warner coming back is essentially free because his scholarship was going to count whether he was here or not. So him coming back is sort of a blessing. And, of course, Tyrone Howell this year, they're short that scholarship because he was here last year and then hit the portal. So um, I was relieved, Wally, to hear Coach Kleiman say they're trying to get away from the blue shirts. I think he's quickly realized that spending your – future earnings, so to speak, isn't a good fiscal policy. And they ran into it this year, I think. Um, oh, 100%. Yeah. 100%. I, I was very, like you, I we were texting during or right after the press conference, I can't remember, but just how relieved we were to hear the head coach say that. Uh, I think it was one of those things that they kind of wanted to experiment with because, again, on paper, it, it can kind of work in your favor. I, I think for a, a program like KU, a blue shirt, you know, might help because you're essentially getting a player that you deem kind of above the, the talent level of a preferred walk-on. Um, and so it can kind of help improve your talent quicker. But yeah, by and large, Fitz, I, I think if, if you're not careful, it ends up being a bigger headache than, than you could have imagined. And I think that's what Chris Kleiman realized. Yeah. And in terms of the size of the classes, I don't think this will be much different than the future. It, it depends on two factors. One, we're still going to be in the COVID um, bonus season phase for what two more years, three more years, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, two more mm -hmm. years, I guess. For the Deuce Vons, it was his class, that freshman class. I guess there could be a redshirt group, so maybe it would be three years that would have a year available. Um, and I don't know if that gets those opportunities get limited the further down the road, the more coaches will say, No, it's time for you to move on. You can play your final year, but you have to go somewhere else. And the other thought is, I believe the um, ability to not count 
seven transfer portal guys in if you're replacing up to seven guys uh, whatever sure. loss you ma- whatever amount you lost you can replace up to seven that's a better way to say it i think that was only a one year relief now that might get added in a little bit more in the future because i think we're already seeing while well, like, people are leaning on the portal awfully hard and um when you have a coaching change that is a valuable tool to not just have 25 mm-hmm. scholarships, but to be able to add seven. Cause you, if you're coming in as a new coach, you're going to lose seven guys. There's no doubt in my mind. Typically, if you're coming in from the outside, you're going to lose a group of guys. And when you're still building the program, like Sark is down at Texas, you're still going to continue to lose guys as, as you run them off. I mean, it's not just them wanting to go someplace else. You're probably telling players as every program does look, your future's probably better somewhere else because we don't see your pathway to the field right now and guys will leave at that point so it's i think they're going to be pretty much into the 17 and and uh somewhere in that range 20 or below for the near future mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and with k-state again um i think we're we're seeing that chris Kleiman wants to use the transfers for immediate needs and so again there could be a year where uh, you lose a, a big senior class or, or, you know, guys leave early for like the NFL draft. And so there is a greater need for immediate starters. Well, then you have to factor that the, the coaching staff will probably put a greater emphasis on holding more transfers, And therefore that high school class might be lower. Right. There could be other years where uh, they got a lot of guys coming back. They feel like they can just kind of get more development kids in not use the transfer portal as much and maybe that high school class a little bit larger so i a lot of it like you said would just kind of depend on covid stuff um and then again you know who comes back um who moves on and and as climate said uh, uh, last wednesday you know it's a it's a thing that he's monitoring day by day <laughs> yep yes indeed el camino cat also wants to know are there any locations cities or states that you feel the staff needs to put a bigger recruiting presence in or at least get some more exposure. And I would be into the North Florida, Central Florida corridor with UCF coming into the the uh, league. I think that's where K-State really can put down some roots. But what are your thoughts? Uh, well, let's start there because I, I was there was three that came to mind, three areas, if you will, that came to mind. One, I think, uh, should be addressed sooner rather than later with the addition of Thad Ward. Uh, the wide receiver coach that's coming over from Temple, who, you know, by all accounts has a pretty good history uh, uh, of being a recruiter. I know at Temple, um, you know, didn't quite maybe get as many things done as we saw him get done at Illinois. But, um, you know, some of that you have to probably chalk up to Temple not being a power five program, Mm -hmm. you know, at the end of the day. So um, I, I think he addresses South Florida, Central Florida, um, there are kids that he's gotten out of the Jacksonville area. He can get into Tampa, which we know Chris Kleiman, you know, has recruited well in in the past. Granted, a lot of that was Courtney Messingham, but, you know, Chris Kleiman carries those connections um, as well, being the head coach, both in North Dakota State and K-State that has gotten those players from the Tampa area. So I think, yes, getting into Florida, knowing that UCF is coming um, is, you know, very important, I think, for Kansas State. Thad Ward also opens some doors in St. Louis, although I think that's a city that we're seeing becoming more and more of kind of a uh, getting more national attention because you have the SEC that's coming in. Now that Missouri's a, an SEC program, you're seeing 
um, not only Missouri, but other SEC teams start to invade St. Louis. Obviously, Notre Dame and the Big Ten market get in there quite a bit. So we'll see what that word can do in St. Louis. That one's not as important, I don't think, for me. But the other state that came to mind besides Florida was Oklahoma. Yeah. Uh, I think Oklahoma, you know, Texas gets a lot of the the hype and rightfully so, but it's also because of its size. You know, uh, they put a lot of, of emphasis on football in Texas, but they also have just an unbelievable amount of players to pick from. Um, and Oklahoma is interesting because you're, you think of it as being kind of a smaller market, but they have a ton of emphasis on football as well. And, you know, Oklahoma kind of has their pick of the litter there, but they're going to aim for the top echelon guys. And then you can kind of find yourself battling with Oklahoma state, Tulsa, Texas tech for some pretty good kids, kids that, you know, if they were in Kansas, Missouri, you know, might be further ahead as far as their ratings and rankings go, but because they play uh, in a, in a football, you know, rich state like Oklahoma, maybe they get passed over for the kids that are getting looked at by the OUs of the world and the Texas's of the world. So having Brian LaPac elevated <laughs> to a full-time staff member um, again, makes a lot of sense there because he, uh, is a native Oklahoman and obviously was a, a support staff guy for the Sooners for a number of years after he graduated from Oklahoma. So hopefully he can open some more doors there. And and who knows, maybe there's uh, other support staff members that come along that might be able to open some doors there. And then finally, Fitz, getting closer to home, uh, K-State's got to do a better job in Kansas City. Um, mm-hmm. It's interesting because this particular class that's coming up in 2023 is more uh, talent-rich in Wichita it's going to be a really, really just banner year for the Wichita area with Avery Johnson, Dylan Edwards, uh, Will Ancio, John Randall Jr. So heavy year for Wichita. But by and large, I think the numbers, you know, history suggests that Kansas City is going to pump out more. And whether that's on the Missouri side or the Kansas side, that's an area that K-State has struggled with, not only in landing players, but, you know, continuing to build deeper connections with certain, you know, high-level programs there. And so, uh, you know, you've got to deal with Nate Shieldhouse. You've got to deal with some other teams coming in there. I know Eli Drinkwitz at Missouri wants to get in Kansas City more. I don't really buy that. I think that's more just coach speak. I think he would probably venture to guess that he puts a lot more emphasis on St. Louis than Kansas City. But still, you know, if you can get back into Kansas City and you're at least battling with Nate Shieldhouse, and if you lose a kid to Iowa State, you're kind of the – thought to be the the second in command there uh i i think that that's a that's a place that k-state's got to win more and they they have a good connection it's it's an easy drive location wise for kids to make it over they're watching you on tv obviously in kansas city more regularly that's just a place you got to win more got to win more i agree with all that and that you stumbled into his final question of uh his three questions here k-state did pull two recruits uh out of oklahoma this season after being shut out for a couple years did lapac have an impact before he was even full-time on the staff um so with jake Clint- clifton excuse me uh i would probably venture to guess no um i think you know, Jake was a guy that was signed earlier in the or committed earlier in the summer, excuse me. And um, Brian LaPac might have had some influence when he came up on visits and things like that. But I think for the most part, Jake was already kind of focusing more on the program as a whole, the scheme, how he fit, that sort of thing. You know, distance to home. With Donovan Ryman, though, 100%, uh, I think Brian LaPac had an impact because 
as I was told, it was actually Jason Ray was one of the first guys that kind of got Donovan Ryman on the board for K-State and said, you know, uh, we should probably take a look at this kid, uh, you know, for later in the cycle. And then once Jason Ray was released of his position, if you go back and look, I'm pretty sure it was actually Brian LePac that was one of the first K-State staff members to stop by in person to see Donovan Ryman in Enid. And then from there, Buddy Wyatt pitched in as his position coach. But yeah, I think I would chalk Donovan Ryman's uh, commitment up to both Brian LePac and uh, Buddy Wyatt, in, in addition to you know others on the the support staff and the recruiting staff. Um, but yeah, I, I would give I would give Brian LePac maybe more credit than than fans might know for Donovan Ryman, um, who ended up um, interestingly enough being the the top rated defensive commitment in this class <laughs> as a guy that really didn't kind of officially come on the radar until October. Uh, and they were still kind of having some discussions in early December of whether they wanted to bring Donovan Ryman on maybe as a blue shirt, um, try and push him as a preferred walk on or as a scholarship guy. And uh, Brian LePac and Buddy Wyatt saw enough that, that they liked him to offer him as a scholarship and the rest is history. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you on Kansas and Oklahoma, uh, you know, lesser St. Louis. And when I say Kansas, I mean the metro area of Kansas city too. But also, I think another area with expansion of the conference coming in is I think they can put some more emphasis into Houston. I think Houston will Mm -hmm. be more active in Big 12 recruiting. It's been rated pretty well by the SEC ever since A&M came in and LSU's is down the road. But I think that's a place that has so many players that, um, well, you look at Houston, you look at uh, a program like that and some of the other ones in Texas, they've done a great job getting the players that typically K-State would get, guys that have been missed by other Power Fives, and um, they can play up to that level. And and I think that uh, is another area where K-State can get into. And I just don't see them expanding their push out into wide open areas like California or, you know, anywhere out there. I think they'll still just go find the players when they pop up. Like if their quarterback from Arizona is interested, you're going to go see him. Then Colin Klein could spend some more time in Colorado. I think that's another good adjacent state where football isn't very good for those recruits. I mean, you've got to go a long ways if you yeah, want to go to the yeah. Pac-12. And, you know, it's a long drive, but it's a drive uh, if your parents want to come see you play in the heart of Kansas. So, Well, and remember, Fitz, Van Malone, native Houston guy. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, that is his, that's his neighborhood. He lives down there. Um, unfortunately, he's kind of the only guy that K-State has from Houston, but he's got a, a ton of connections. And again, the, the light bulb just went off. You sparked my memory, but going back to the Oklahoma conversation, you go back to the most recent dominant K-State team that, that the Wildcats have had, meaning 2012 Big 12 championship team. You go down that roster, whole heck of a lot of Oklahomans. Tyler Lockett, Dante Barnett, Tremaine Thompson, Keenan Taylor on the offensive line. Um, it, there, there's more reason to hang out in Oklahoma than I think K-State, for one reason or another, has given lately. Um, it'll I'm really excited and hopeful that they get back down into the Sooner State more frequently. Next question is from Dur. Yeah. Um, what's one position that we all feel worried about now, but come season time could be one of our strongest position. And of course he says outside of running back just because of deuce. Oh, so we're talking about, um, it, this is also factoring in current players that mm-hmm. are on the roster, mm-hmm. not necessarily just recruits. Right. Um, a position that we feel strongly about. Well, it's the opposite. What, position you do feel worried about that will actually be okay 
I, and I would say receiver simply because everyone seems to be coming back. And I think we got a sampling at the bowl game where when you get the receivers a little bit more involved, they they produce. And, and I think uh, there might be a real upside there for that receiving core to have a full year in a Colin Klein system to see if uh, Adrian Martinez or whomever's the quarterback can get them the ball on a consistent basis because that didn't really happen the last few years until this past bowl game. Yeah, you know, receiver is probably the easy answer, but but the caveat is it's because a lot of guys are coming back. Um, I don't think it's because, oh, there's – you know, development that's coming that, you know, was under the radar that, you know, nobody knows how good X, Y, Z is. Um, I think it, it would be because there was a worry that, oh, we might lose guys and they're going to end up coming back. Um, meaning Philip Brooks, um, Malik Knowles, if you want to throw in Cade Warner into that discussion too. Um, but the depth behind them is still troublesome and troublesome. In my opinion, we've heard about Keenan Garber for a number of seasons. It hasn't transpired uh, I'm high on on RJ Garcia. You know, after that, it's uh, maybe somebody will emerge in this spring. Obviously, the the coaches are hoping for that. But um, you know, the the one that came to mind for me fits the I guess two. Um, and but the the tricky part about them is you wouldn't say that they're um, worrisome going in. I just wanted to point out that I think they're even they're even deeper maybe than than people think is just the offensive line as a whole, particularly the interior and defensive end. And, and again, I think you shouldn't say worrisome because uh, it's obviously not, but I think Felix and Uzama gets a lot of the spotlight, but you've heard time and time again about other kids at that position um, that Chris Kleiman really likes the way they're coming along. You hear about, uh, we've seen actually Nate Matlack, um, you know, we've seen what Khalid Duke and obviously his, he's going to be more of an edge. Um, but Cody Stuffelbean, you know, is another guy that they like, obviously Donovan Ryman is a guy that, that they like that'll come in, um, as a true freshman, you know, so that might be one that uh, again, you're not worried about it, but maybe it just doesn't get talked about enough outside of Felix and Udike Uzama. And then the interior offensive line is really coming together and, I think maybe that one might be more worrisome to the non-avid follower of K-State because if you look on the roster, you're going to see, up oh, Josh Rivas is gone. up oh, Ben Adler's gone. up oh, Noah Johnson's gone. That's three starters. But you, again, if you're not plugged in, then you don't know about just how special the staff believes Taylor Potier can be because Taylor Potier probably wouldn't have been a starter over Ben Adler last year. Um, we as insiders and, and fans that follow closely enough, recognize Hadley Panzer's emergence as, you know, a gray shirt freshman. Um, Sam Hecht is a guy out of Mill Valley that I think eventually is going to factor into, you know, the interior there more. We saw KT Leviston come more into his own, not being a tackle and being more of a guard where he could be a guy that, that is depended on more and can be trusted more to play consistent minutes. So, that might be my answer right there, Fitz, would be just the interior offensive line. Again, to the avid K-State fan, it's probably not a worry. But, again, if you're just looking at who's gone and who's coming back, I could see where just a depth chart follower might be concerned about losing starters there. But I think they're going to have a really strong line, even stronger Fitz, if they can finally afford to move Cooper Beebe inside, which is, yeah. as we all know, 
the position he's going to play in the future as, as a pro. And you didn't mention Andrew Langing there, who they've oh, yeah. raved about. Oh, yeah. So uh, I don't know where he plays. He he strikes me as a potential center, but we'll see who emerges as the next center. Might be Panzer, but um, I, I do feel really good about the interior depth. And if they do find a left tackle, you're right. BB moves inside and it gets even better. So um, it's it's – Line's not one I'm worried about. You're right. If you pay attention, you're going to look at that and say, boy, they lost three great interior players, but you know what's coming. And and honestly, if there's a coach I have the most faith in on this staff, it's Connor Riley that he'll keep his his group on top of their game. Let's wrap up the first half of this with King King Jim 77. You had a great article on the the walk-ons. Could you go over some of those kids that probably in normal years or pre-pandemic years would have been scholarship players somewhere, if not here, that really jump out at you in that walk-on group? Oh, well, you know, and there's, again, there's still some out there uh, that I know K-State really covets. You know, Jack Bjorn is a kid out of Park Hill South, a teammate with Moody Rubin, that Kansas State has been hot on, as is KU, Iowa State, number of others. Uh, he's actually decided that he's not going to make a commitment until March. Mm. He wants to try and get out, maybe see some spring practices, kind of take his time, knowing that uh, the as a preferred walk-on, that you know that that spot isn't going anywhere. So he's one that, uh, again, if he were to commit to Kansas State, he'd be one as a probably a future offensive tackle that's only played one year of football. That when you talk about a kid that's six seven, you know two fifty two sixty and blocks as well as he does already, uh, that would be one that I would think would be pretty exciting to add uh, to K State's arsenal. But as you go down the list of the kids that we know have already committed in the class, you know Alex Key is is a kid that six four two hundred ninety pound offensive guard could play center as well. I've I've been told uh, from Derby. Um, played, you're talking about a kid that was a three-time All-State selection, uh, you know, and also, you know, a two-time state captain for a former K-State Wildcat uh, in Brandon Clark down there, uh, blocked for five different 1,000-yard rushers. I mean, he he's a kid that the offers were only Air Force and Eastern Michigan of the FBS variety. KU also offered him a preferred walk-on, but there were a number of coaches uh, that I was told that flipped on his tape from states like texas you know states like uh illinois a few others that kind of again i heard through the grapevine where it was like if if he was in our home state uh we would have either tried to make room for him we just didn't have the scholarships you know or because we're out of state schools we know again our our room is is thin and so we can't really bring him on as anything outside of a preferred walk-on and we recognize we're not going to beat k-state to get him but there are a number uh, of schools that really thought very high of him. And I've said it before, Nick Herzog is a guy that was a top three to five, depending on where you look, player in the state of Kansas for this class. And he projects as an offensive guard at the next level. And I don't know, having seen both he and Alex Key, that there's really the gap that their ratings would show um, in terms of, of them as players. So Alex Key is a kid that I think uh, I find to be very like a, a very high on him. A really good commit for K State to land as a walk on. Um, the other one that I wanted to point out is is again another offensive lineman that that I really like, and that's a guy named Michael Capria out of Liberty, Missouri, um, a program that K State's starting to frequent a little bit more 
Um, you'll see them back there again in 2023, vying for an up-and-coming 2023 uh, receiver there. And hopefully Michael Capria can help the Wildcats possibly lure him. But he's a kid that only had offers from you know North Dakota, uh, Southeast Missouri State, Eastern Illinois. But Fitz, I saw him play uh, for the first time as a sophomore. And he was playing against Park Hill, which is a team on the Missouri side that's known for being you know, tough, rough, uh, hard-nosed defense year in and year out. They had a kid named Johnny Wilson that was on their defensive line that night that ended up signing and, and playing at uh, – hasn't played yet, but signed and still on the roster at Iowa State. And I watched a sophomore, Michael Capria, hold his own. And since then, he's been a back-to-back first-team Missouri Class 6 All-State kid, first-team All-Conference He's an all-Simone team player. Uh, this year, I saw him play tackle, guard, center, nose tackle. He does everything. He's extremely strong. And like I said, I've seen him so many times, whether it be uh, in the fall, in the summer, combines, camps. I never see him lose. I mean, it's rare to see him lose. And I would say it's even more rare to see him lose to the same person twice uh, in, a, in a rep. So really smart player, really strong player. Reminds me a lot of Noah Johnson. Um, and then to throw one more in there, Fitz, and, and you could probably add to this one as well. Um, how about Jed Deneen? Another Deneen coming into <laughs> Manhattan. But here's why I like Jed. He's undersized. Um, but I thought I found him when I saw him this fall playing against Olathe North. I found him to be a much better athlete than I kind of heard coming into the game. Uh, shifty, fast. But the thing I love about Jed Deneen and you would probably agree with this, Fitz, that it's probably just a, a product of being the youngest of four <laughs> rough, tumble, immensely athletic brothers is, God, he's he's tough as nails. Um, you know, ran a – he's a dual-threat quarterback for Lawrence Free State, did a lot more running than throwing, took an absolute beating night in and night out, ends up finishing as a free state single season record holder for total offense. He had almost 3000 yards over 3000 yards as a senior this year. And then when he would get done there taking, you know, bumps and bruises, he'd flip over and play kind of a safety outside linebacker for the free, uh, for the firebirds on defense. So again, undersized, they're going to bring him in as a safety, but he's a kid that would not surprise me if you see him kind of emerge and, as a Ross elder type that the the coaches really fall in love with. They trust his IQ as a football player and a kid that's going to, you know, really thrive in a program. That's all about work ethic and, and being versatile that that screams jet Deneen. Well, as much as things have changed since Bill Snyder retired and Chris Kleiman came in, I'm relieved that the preferred walk on or the walk on program as a whole remains such an emphasis. Cause that really was always the cornerstone of K state football. They, they would just, Go find guys that everyone else missed on, and they became, you know, Jordy Nelson's the obvious choice, but B.J. Fenning and so many others um, that went on to be huge contributors over the course of their entire career. And um, I'm relieved to see that they understand the importance of that because it was something they did up in Fargo also. Well, and let me finish with one more point that I try to touch on every year around signing day, um, just to reiterate it and, again, applaud this K-State staff, as I have K-State staffs of the past in the walk-on recruiting variety, with preferred walk-ons, the argument could be made that at times it's a, it's a harder recruitment than your scholarship players because you're trying to convince kids to come who might have offers 
that could pay them, you know, or put, you know, put them in school uh, at a lower cost or no cost to try and convince them to basically come play at a bigger school, but with, you know, very fewer guarantees, I would say uh, a smaller window, even at K-State where you've had a history of success, a smaller window that you could follow in those footsteps. Um, nothing's guaranteed. And so to be, to be able to land year in and year out, the preferred walk-ons that K-State does, does say something about this staff from a recruiting standpoint. We can nitpick the scholarship guys all we want, but year in and year out, the preferred walk-ons are very strong at K-State. And again, I think to some extent, it's almost harder to get those guys. And so that says even more about what K-State's able to do in crunch time kind of between November and February. This is the Powercat Recruiting Podcast as we put a bow on 2022. And after the break, we're going to peek ahead with a series of questions from the users at Wabash Station about 23. I'm Fitz, he is Wally, and we will be right back. GoPowerCat.com's Powercat Podcast continues after this short break. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back to the Power Cat Podcast. Now, let's return to the GPC Studios. Welcome back to the Power Cat Recruiting Podcast. Tim Fitzgerald, publisher of GPC. Ryan Wallace, the recruiting editor, as we decipher, delve into, break down the 2022 recruiting and kind of turn our attention to 2023 in the second half of this podcast. But remember, we're offering you a great deal right now to become a Go Powercat VIP. I think a lot of you have learned that we do some really cool coverage. Well, the best of the best is behind the paywall, so you need to be a subscriber. If you want to ask questions on this podcast, you need to be a subscriber, and you can do it two ways. First step is to go to Go Powercat and click the bright green join button at the top of the page. It'll take you to our landing page, and you become a monthly subscriber for one buck in your first month. One buck. What a great test drive. Or you can get a seven-day free trial on an annual subscription and get 30% off your subscription. That's a great deal. Head on over to gopowercat.com and take advantage of this. This is a rare behind-the-scenes look at recruiting with Ryan Wallace that is out there in the free space and not behind the paywall for our VIPs only. And let's get back after it. So let's get started with Adam K63. Is Camden BB commit possibly a great start to a big in-state recruiting year for 23? 
Um, big, I would probably say no. Um, and I, I think I would say that just because I think, again, as we've talked about before, Fitz, and kind of our VIP rundown post-signing day of, of the, the fact that K-State might end up with, as they have almost every year, the largest number of commits from Kansas uh, I, I don't see it being a, quote, big year for the simple standpoint that there's always going to be a greater value put on the top of the rankings list. And so when you look at Avery Johnson, John Randall Jr., Jaden Ham, Dylan Edwards, those are the far and away the top four kids in the state this year. Uh, if you go by our ratings, I would throw Joe Otting in there as maybe kind of right in, in the neck of the woods for the top five. We have Andre Davis there now as the top 247 uh, ratings go. But, you know, as we sit here today, Joe Otting's probably the only one that you have a strong level of confidence uh, in K-State having a, a real good shot at. Dylan Edwards uh, would probably be number two there, and he seems to be kind of slipping by the day. <laughs> so, uh, you know, a big recruiting year, unfortunately, I would probably say no. Uh, Dylan Edwards is, is the, the key. I've wrote, written about it uh, already once before, and it'll be a common theme uh, until he commits that he seems to be the linchpin towards getting the upper echelon um, of this state. I think Camden Beebe was great in maybe helping get Dylan Edwards potentially because Camden Beebe is a guy that does carry some weight, you know, figuratively, um, you know, metaphorically speaking, uh, he, he connects with a lot of kids. A lot of kids recognize his name and uh, being that his brother is a starter on the team, he obviously is at every home game. So he's had run-ins with a lot of these kids a number of times now. Um, and so maybe getting him helps the cause for some of these others, but um, I, you know, Dylan Edwards is really the guy that I've said before, if you don't get Dylan Edwards, you're not going to get Avery Johnson. Um, and I think if you lose on those two, I think, you know, it, it, the chances of you kind of starting some sort of Wichita stronghold and maybe adding like a Will Ancio, who's getting recruited by Iowa State, uh, Kansas, uh, Notre Dame's flirted with him a little bit. I think Nebraska might be on him as well. Again, the chances of kind of uh, having a, a domino effect with some of those guys and rolling it all into this amazing class is probably few and far between. But uh, I do think that getting Camden BB does help. Um, and I think that Camden BB, again, it might not be in the ways that, that K-State fans were hopeful for as far as the top of the rankings go. But uh, this is a really deep class for 2023. And I can see Camden BB helping with guys uh, outside the top five getting down into the, you know, into the teens and 20s. BD Nye kind of follows up on that, what you were just talking about. Uh, how many do you think K-State can get out of the top 10 or maybe even the 15 because it is such a deep year? Um, it's tough to say only because uh, we're still in the working early stages of, of getting a comprehensive top 10 to 15 list going. Now, if you go over to the 247 database right now, we only list the top seven. Um, there are other kids, obviously, outside of that that I can touch on. But if we're just talking about the top seven that, that's there right now, I think you look at K-State having, again, they're going to fight it out for as long as they possibly can for Dylan Edwards and Avery Johnson. Um, Jaden Ham's an interesting one because it, he was a teammate of Silas Etter. Um, and Jaden Bender, who's another 2023 kid that'll probably be certainly in the top 15 
in the state coming up this next year. And so there was a thought that maybe if you land Silas Etter, it opens the door for the two 2023 kids. Well, Jaden Ham's already committed to Arkansas. Uh, they have added uh, another uh, tight end, highly rated tight end out of Bixby, Oklahoma. Um, Luke Haas, that is also a tight end, but you know, maybe Jaden Ham plays some DN, not quite sure there, but I, I don't put a lot of stock into him decommitting from the Razorbacks right now. They're kind of one of the hot programs in this region. Then you go to Dylan Edwards, which again, I've touched on Andre Davis is a kid that I would probably say K-State has a fair shot at. Uh, he's out of the Blue Valley High School um, by way of Texas. He's actually Willie Davis's uh, son, a former Central Arkansas wide receiver that played, you know, eight seasons in, in the NFL, uh, notably with the Kansas City Chiefs. So he has, uh, you know, transferred or, or I guess they relocated to Overland Park just before the start of uh, this last season. And so he's a kid that has since gone on to pick up, pick up Illinois, Iowa, uh, Iowa State, KU, K-State's in there, Minnesota's. Uh, extended an offer as has Nebraska. So by no means is that going to be an easy recruitment for K-State to win. But I think having Sterling Lockett as a teammate of Andre's, not having any real Texas ties right now on the board in case Andre still has some relationships down in that state from his earlier high school days, I think I would give K-State uh, you know, a fighter's chance in that one. Um, again, because Andre has been one of the kids they've been on the longest of those schools that have offered uh, Joe Odding's a kid, again, that I think K-State feels very strongly about right now. The problem there is I fear that maybe his recruitment is only just beginning. Nebraska is very hot on him. Iowa State, I've heard about Tennessee. I've heard about Stanford coming in, uh, into Hayden, um, wanting to kind of see transcripts and that sort of thing, particularly with Stanford. So, you know, he's a kid that I, I know K-State's very high on. I know he's very high on K-State, uh, but he doesn't strike me as the type you know, that's going to rush into anything again, especially knowing that uh, a big time summer um, and spring circuit could reel in some, some more notable offers, maybe in the academic variety. And then Will Ancio is a kid that again, I touched on earlier, but there's more uh, Tyler little down in Galena had a chance to make a drive down and see him this past fall. I think really highly of him. K-State's one of the few schools that uh, major schools anyway, outside of like an Iowa state, uh, that seems to be kind of giving him the the time of day from a scholarship standpoint. Um, I think he could be a, a kid that that emerges uh, late. I think K State wants to get him into a, another camp and kind of see what position he fits best for. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Uh, Calvin Clements at, at Free State is a large tackle, real lanky kid that's like six eight, basketball background, um, but. His recruitment started to blow up big time. Baylor has offered um, a number of other schools are going to get involved with him. And I, I think we've already started to see he and K-State sort of trail off in opposite directions. So wouldn't put a lot of stock in that one yet. But um, I don't. it's tough to say right now, Fitz, because, you know, I was bullish on 2022 being, a, a, again, a big year for K-State. Um, and. Caden Crawford didn't happen. Nick Herzog didn't happen. Jaron Canick didn't happen. Um, you know, Gavin Myers, therefore, didn't happen. So uh, I, I could see it being similar to what we saw from 2022 in Kansas. But again, because 2023 appears to be a much deeper class, getting a kid, for instance, like Cooper Beebe, that might only be number 11 in the state, uh, you know, in other years, he could easily be top eight. 
So I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put too much stock into, you know, ratings and how many kids they get and where those kids fall as far as their ranking goes. The Long-winded Dylan, answer. That's but. all right. The, the Dylan Edwards recruitment um, is so interesting to me because he's a legacy. He's his dad played running back here, but now a former teammate is the head coach at Oklahoma. He quickly offered him. That seems to be where he's going to end up. But I just wonder as recruiting advances and they start getting other four and five star recruits at running back, if he won't say, hold on here, I, I could go to Oklahoma and it's be really cool. But is that really the best opportunity to get on the field as opposed to Kansas State? I, I think this one's going to be. Uh, interesting to the end. I don't think he will be – when Canick switched, followed Venables, that was set. Nothing was going to unseat him. And really, sure. he was going to play for Venables. I just feel that way, um, whether it was out in Clemson or down in Norman. I think Dylan Edwards is a little bit different. I don't – I think he he's – um, enamored with the attention from a program such as Oklahoma and a and a coach with the presence of a Brent Venables, but at the end of the day, I I think he's going to have a stronger tie to Kansas State, and I think there'll be more push in there, but they better keep at it. <laughs> and you can see uh, Dylan Edwards, you know, now beginning to look around the country like, well, who else am I going to get? And that's not a good sign for K State. Right. And obviously the, the question will be brought up, well, what does Oklahoma's board look like right now for 2023? They already have one running back committed. Um, whether he plays running back, I, I think he probably will. Um, that's obviously what K-State offered him for. His name's Eric McCarty. He's out of McAllister, Oklahoma, 6'2", 180. So he has the athletic uh, frame and intangibles where he might be able to play other positions, but I know he's uh, been talked about and very highly as a running back. And obviously Oklahoma's already accepted his commitment. So they think pretty highly of him. But beyond that, um, Dylan Edwards is considered warm by our uh, national experts and uh, local beat guys um, w- to be considered warm with the Sooners. Uh, and then he's one of eight guys right now that have already been offered in 2023 as a running back. Only one other of those players is considered warm to the Sooners. And it's a kid out of Trinity Christian Academy in Jacksonville, Florida, named Trayon Webb. However, if you go and look at his crystal ball projections right now, uh, it's all 69% for Georgia, uh, including Steve Wiltfong, um, Brandon Drum, who's Oklahoma's uh, mm. uh, kind of head guy, and, and Parker Thune, who covers uh, Oklahoma recruiting very closely, too. So they've already plugged in Georgia. So uh, for those kind of curious about, well, where does Dylan Edwards stand with Oklahoma? What's their offer board look like? Well, he's one of eight, um, and you know, right now is one of only two outside of the commitment that would be deemed warm. And the other warm is warmer <laughs> to Georgia. So I'm with you, Fitz. I'm with you. I, I, I get the vibe that Dylan Edwards' recruitment is going to be very Moutier Rubin-like. I don't think K-State will ever give up on him, just like they didn't give up on Moutier, even in the summer when it was becoming – you know, painfully clear that Moutier was putting a lot of emphasis on holding out for Stanford, um, wanting and, and, you know, having a, a real desire, not only he, but his family for that level of education. Uh, but again, K-State was in that thick and thin through the fall, welcomed him up numerous times for uh, game day visits. I could see the same thing with Dylan Edwards. Um, as long as he's committed, I would be hard pressed to see, a way that Brent Venables is going to let him continue to visit K-State as committed prospect. But as long as he's not committed, I think K-State, um, I, I think he will visit K-State and committed or not. I think K-State's going to push 
until the final bell to try and, and, and land him. Cause they know again, not only how important he can be to the position uh, as a deuce of on mirror image, but also, like I said, what he could mean uh, as kind of a linchpin to getting some other local kids involved. So I, I think I'm with you, even if he commits, I think that, that recruitment will not be done until it's done. Yeah. And also, Wally, it's hard to measure how much of the recruiting for like Ruben uh, isn't as much about you want to get him for this class. You want to have him in the class. You don't want to lose him, but you also have to be realistic in knowing we're probably going to lose him, but let's keep investing time because Stanford's a long ways away from home and Oklahoma might look great. And then you get into the program and they move to the SEC and you're never really playing around here. And you know, that starts to feel farther from home than it actually is just because maybe you're not getting the opportunities you feel like you could at a I don't want to say lesser, but it is in terms of recruiting a place that gets lesser high-profile recruits. So I, I sometimes when I see them continue to rec- recruit guys, I'm like, they're playing the futures market here. Uh, they're, they're, they want to keep this relationship nice and cozy in case there's a bounce back in the transfer portal. Well, and another thing that's been brought to my attention, and I'm not, I'm not necessarily in the market of buying it, um, but I, I understand where it's coming from is – a theory that's been laid out by other people in the profession um, or in the coaching industry of maybe K-State comes off begging too much. Hmm. And I, again, I don't know if I buy into that. I think that K-State's a very unique situation. And so um, as a Kansas kid like a Dylan Edwards or a local kid like Moody Rubin out of Kansas City, Missouri, they have to welcome those kids at every beck and call, they have to recruit them. But I, I do understand the theory of, for instance, with an Avery Johnson, not offering any other quarterbacks to this point. Um, on one hand, kind of making this gesture of you are the only guy that we want. Look at our offer board. It's still just you. But in a way, it also can kind of come off as, well, these kids now know that K-State isn't going anywhere. They know that K-State is their fallback option. Um, and so it allows them to keep looking with Dylan Edwards. He knows K-State's on their hands and knees. He knows that they're not going to go anywhere, that they're always going to be there. And so in a certain, to a certain extent, you wonder, was he really looking at them the same way that he looks at these other schools where there is a pressure that his spot isn't always going to be there again? I think K-State has to recruit the hell out of those kids because they're K-State and they're not Oklahoma. They're not even a TCU or something like that, if you're talking about a kid out of the DFW. So I don't buy into it, but I definitely think that maybe there's more of a happy medium that could be conveyed or or done by the K-State staff where they come off not so desperate, I guess, and in, in, with certain recruitments. But I totally understand their, their thinking and their push for Dylan and, and Avery right now. Yeah, there's no right answer. The one that works is the right answer, and you don't know what will work. So General Schwartz wants to know, and I'm I'm impressed that we're attracting such a high level of military officer (laughs) to our site. Uh, Speaking of 23, are there any position groups that need to be a high priority already due to a lack of development and talent? And he points out running back and receiver as obvious ones. Are there some others that we might be missing? 
receiver for sure jumps to the top of of, yeah i mean again uh, not even talking about development you just talk about losing a malik Knowles and a philip brooks right there and knowing that you know outside of portal kids that could pop up that we're not aware of yet uh for 2023 anyway you're looking at rj garcia again rj garcia keenan keenan garber uh, I've heard some promising signs for a preferred walk-on in Xavier Lloyd out of Blue Springs. Uh, you know, I mean, that, that's what we're looking at right I now. Know. Um, it it again, strikes they, me like they, how they recruited linebackers. They're just going to have to get a bunch out of high school and also hit the portal. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, again, they bring in Sterling Lockett. Uh, you know, he's a kid that needs time in the weight room. Um, and again, isn't probably just as naturally gifted and flashy as, as his dad or Tyler was. So again, he needs a little bit more, uh, development and time to mature overall. Tyson Struber is a kid that they could bring in as a safety could be receiver, but again, coming from eight man, jumping all the way to power five, he's going to need time to adjust. So receiver 1000% is going to be an area that they are going to want to hit on hard. And if you go look, I mean, they're already hitting on it incredibly hard. Uh, if you go to the offer page right now for 2023, they've already offered 16 receivers. Mm. Um, defensive line and defensive back, which again, kind of incorporate multiple positions when you say uh, defensive line and defensive back. Those are the only two uh, positions right now that K-State has offered more to in 2023. And when you look at the receivers that they have offered, um, I mentioned Andre Davis already. Um, Ricky, I'm, uh, Ricky (laughs) Amorazi, excuse me. I I, I've heard it. I've I've said it many times, but then you see it and it comes into your brain differently. Ricky Amorazi is a kid. Again, I mentioned Liberty. Um, he's a guy that I, I would consider, uh, borderline K-State lean right now that they feel really strongly about. And Josh Manning out at least summit is another kid that, uh, they put a lot of interest um, and emphasis on so far to this point. Um, and I think you'll see Nakai Poole start to pop up a little bit more in the spring when he can um, maybe venture up and, and take an unofficial visit. So, yeah, wide receiver is certainly one that I think that they're going to want to hammer on pretty hard. Running back is another that I think they're going to want to hammer on hard just because you never know fits with the the year that Dusan had the last two, if he comes out and does that again, could he go test the NFL market this time next year? It's entirely possible. So yeah, they're going to want to bolster that, that room a little bit more. Um, and, and after that, I still think that um, they brought in a lot of safeties for the 2022 class. I think it'll be how they develop, uh, how they project um, throughout the course of the next year. They might go hard at, at DB again, Um particularly even maybe corner more than safety because you're looking at maybe Julius Brents moving on, Echo Boydo moving on. Um, so, yeah, that would be a position. I would say receiver, corner, and probably D-tackle off the top of my head would be the, the three that they would want to really, really hammer home um, just because, again, with D-tackle, Eli Huggins – uh, Jalen Pickle would be uh, a vet, you know, coming uh, towards the close of his career. Robert Hintz would be exhausted his career. So, and they don't, they haven't brought on a whole lot, I think, at that position that 
you know, again, is ready to start, fill those shoes yet. So those are the three probably spots that I would say most right now. D-tackle, cornerback, possibly even safety, receiver and running back. Interesting. Get more cat. Get out more cat has uh, two to finish the podcast. We played big time football in Snyder 1.0, obviously. Primetime TV, college game day, preseason, top 25, etc. Climbing is a good coach and he'll win plenty of games, but does football is football project into small time underdog football? If so, how do they change it? I thought that was a great question. Fantastic question. Um, I think it does, you know, uh, there, there are elements right now that I think K-State's going to have to change um, in order to get out of that whole football is football, underdog, blue collar, rough and tough kind of uh, thought that I think uh, a lot of players outside the state kind of give to K-State. And again, fans are going to hate it, but you look at an example like Iowa State, how they've transformed how they're viewed <laughs> They're no longer just kind of thought of as the uh, rough and tumble kind of like Iowa's little brother, uh, you know, Ames guys that try hard and compete and da da da. I mean, you're watching Matt Campbell and his staff put a large emphasis on recruiting. They're active, they're engaged. It's a staff wide thing that they do when it comes to recruiting. They trust their gut, they're fast with offers. Again, they they offer a lot of kids, but they offer a lot of kids because they trust their evaluation process. And then beyond that, um, you know, we make fun of the black uniforms, <laughs> the, the all blacks that Iowa State wear. But, you know, it might not have their school colors, but it's attractive. Um, it, that program now comes off as a player's program. It, Whether it is or not, I couldn't tell you. It exudes a place that if you're from Florida, you're like, that place looks fun. K-State has everything that Iowa State has and maybe even then some when you factor in the facilities and everything that K-State can be with, you know, the color scheme. Who doesn't love white, purple, silver, add a little black? There's a lot of stuff that you can do with K-State's, with what K-State has on the table, with facilities, with this coaching staff. If they would just kind of put a little bit more emphasis uh, on recruiting, uh, be more energized as a staff, add more people to the staff that can maybe speed up the process a little bit more. Um, and then again, start to throw some new uniforms out there, have a system that Colin Klein can run. That's a little bit more fun. I think the three, three, five on defense is something that I would assume attracts a number of players, certainly kind of outside the, the box. If you're a defensive recruit, that's a future safety linebacker. That's gotta be attractive to you. If you can do that on offense now, um, and not just be thought of as so ground and pound. Uh, and again, be look more like a player's program. We know it's a player's program because we hear the players talk about how much they love it. But I think on the outside looking in, you know, bland uniforms, uh, you know, a gap power offense, again, this kind of underdog mentality uh, there. I think how you portray yourself, and this is why it's such a good question Um can almost make you more enticing than maybe you really are. And to some extent, I think Matt Campbell's done a really good job of doing that. You know, I will Cincinnati is kind of another one of those. You oh, know? Yeah. Like, if you time. watch Cincinnati, there's nothing about their system. That's like overly flashy. 
And yet you're drawn to it as a viewer. You're drawn to it if you're a, a prospect because it looks fun. It looks up and coming. It looks like the they're taking the next step. And I think K-State, um, to the people that follow the program closely, would tell you that they are making those steps. But if you're an outsider that's just flipping the games on periodically, I don't know if that really comes across. It'll be interesting to see if Colin Klein's offense helps update the image because what we saw at the bowl game was a fun offense and and maybe that will reflect overall on the recruiting trail for the love of god fits white uniforms for the love of god all white uniforms how many recruits have to come in and take pictures in the all white uniforms before we get regularly all white uniforms uh, it's crazy i know i you know i'm not even looking for radical changes in the uniforms i just think a purple helmet or a white helmet with the power cat goes a long ways. If you want to have a white helmet with an alternate logo, I mean, the cats has been well-received. I, I think there's other marks that the university's used through the years um, that, that might be awfully fun on a helmet. I just, I'm ready to go deeper into the alternate uniforms because I think the brand, and I hate to say it, has gotten a little stale. And uh, well, they just got to freshen it up and make it seem like the place. And Wally... Our, our student section at games is almost unmatched in college football. The the level of uh, quality of seats they get and how they can impact a game, it, it just looks like a fun place to be. And I think the university as a whole, not even talking about recruiting and getting the players to come on the field, I think the university as a whole needs to do a better job of marketing. This is a cool place because I think that's kind of slipped. Yeah, yeah, and we've talked about it before, getting kids – either on official visits or getting 2023s, well, or in this case, moving into this cycle, 24s, 25s, up for those game day visits and really getting the most out of a game day Saturday in Manhattan has to be done. You know, we know that K-State doesn't want to go that far deep into a recruiting cycle to try and fill up the majority of their roster and and of their signees, and I get that. You want to have a lot of your legwork done in the summer, but again, with underclassmen, whether, you know, sophomores, juniors, start bringing those guys up to experience that earlier. Um, and that way they can kind of get a taste of it. And again, one other example that I thought of Fitz, is you go back and when I was younger, what was Baylor, you know, before Art Bryles? Mm. Granted, I mean, if you go further back, you know, you can get into some, some of the old, you know, Southwest Conference days when Baylor was good. But I mean, there for a while, Baylor was awful. What was Oregon? You know, yeah, they've got Phil Knight money, but, you know, you go back mid-90s, late late 90s, I guess, is kind of when they started to come into their own or early 2000s. Uh, TCU, even when they made the big jump into the Big 12, where folks were like, well, can they really sustain it? They all did something. They all branded themselves as kind of the hot thing. We're going to have these cot uniforms. We're going to do something that's flashy in, on our ste- in our scheme and our style we're going to come across as the future, you know, of our area or of our conference. K-State maybe doesn't need to go to that extent with it, but those are, again, prime examples of programs that, you know, were kind of middle of the pack or where K-State, where you would view K-State to be right now, that somebody came in there and kind of figured out how to better market themselves and look at where they are now. Would it behoove Kansas State, and look, I have never spoken with Dylan Edwards, and if I spoke to Leon, it was a long time ago, um, but would push pushing the narrative of, look, we're not going anywhere, we're going to be 
uh, we're on the rise. We're going to be playing at a high level when they expand the playoff because of the Big 12. We're going to be pushing for a spot in the playoff almost every year. Look what happened in Nebraska when they switched conferences. We're getting transfers from Nebraska. Oklahoma's going into the unknown. Do you really want to be part of that? You don't know what's going to happen to that program. I think they need to get a little bit more aggressive. Again, that may not fly with the the actual people involved, and they may not want to do that, but I don't think it would hurt them in some cases to say, screw that, Oklahoma's a better place. You don't know what it's going to be during your career because they're going in to the Southeast Conference, and it sounds cool to play there, but not if you're getting your ass kicked. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and I, I mean, I think to be really blunt with him at some point. Yeah, and I think even with just looking at the, what the Big 12 is going to be, it's wide open now. And I mean, it, it, you could say it's been wide open. You know, we didn't see, you know, it was Baylor and Oklahoma State in the title game this year. But it, it's a wide open field now. It's it's anybody's game. And I, to me, as a recruit, that that would be enticing. I get the draw of the SEC, but again, you're kind of one of many fish in a big pool with the sec. Whereas in the big 12, it's certainly not a a step down as much as ESPN, (laughs) you know, and the sec want you to believe, Um, but you can kind of have a smaller pond and not necessarily be a big fish, but have a chance to take the biggest bait. Okay. Let's wrap this up with the final one from get out more cat. How do we frame this class? It seems they're using the transfer portal for all immediate impact players and nearly all of the traditional recruits are developmental guys. Is that latter part very smart? And I agree with them. I think that's what they're doing. And I think they wish they had some more immediate impact high school guys, but they're not winning those wars. Are they? No. um, You know, we've talked about it kind of ad nauseum at, at this point that, the 2022 class, you know, I mentioned it uh, in an article that, that ran on on Monday about um, looking at the, the Big 12 standings. And I pulled an excerpt from our VIP video cast that we did that was, you know, K-State got to this point with arguably a lot of potential and a lot of upside with a lot of these high school prospects. But they got there because they were the staff that was willing to take more risks than other staff, that they were willing to kind of believe in the long-term potential of a lot of these kids, whereas other major uh, coaching staffs were not. And they also got there because let's be honest, they, they missed uh, badly on a number of different recruitments and prospects early on in the 2022 cycle. Um, you know, and we've gone over a lot of those players names already, but that's exactly what this class is. And again, as we've kind of outlined already fits before and other times that you and I have talked about this 2022 class um, there's a way to do what K-State's done in the 2022 class that will work, but it can't be your entire class. You know, there has to be um, a happy medium uh, of winning bigger wars for better players that have attention from other staffs that also view them to be the same as you and not you beating out Mac, Ivy League, um, you know, FCS opponents for kids just because you feel like your evaluation uh, was, you know, you saw something that everyone else didn't. In this day and age, the odds of of K-State being that much smarter than everybody else that many times, you know, with 18 different kids, 17 different kids, um, you know, rare. So I think overall K-State's got to do they can do they can have this type of outline when it comes to signing day of, of 
using the transfer portal for your immediate needs with veteran guys and then having uh, more developmental projects. But your developmental projects can't be so many two- and three-year projects. You have to sprinkle in a kid that maybe just needs one redshirt year and they're ready to go. And maybe this 2022 class has a couple of those. I'm not saying that there aren't those types in here. There won't be a kid or two that emerges. But a lot of these kids just need a, a lot more time. And, you know, when you start thinking about what separates K-State from other teams right now, again, I go back to it being depth. I think you can make a case that this upcoming season's projected starters have as much, you know, all Big 12 or even NFL draft type talent as we've seen in a long time. But there's a major drop off when a player at certain positions gets hurt or when you start looking at the twos and the threes. And that's because the recruiting is projecting kind of too far down the road. Guys aren't ready. Uh, guys don't work out the way you thought they did and on and on and on. If you can find a higher caliber of projects, then I think K-State will, th this blueprint, if you will, will be much better off. Very good. His name's Ryan Wallace, and he covers recruiting for us at GoPowerCat.com. Has done it for a very long time, and he does an incredible job. Wally, we will delve into more of recruiting with these podcasts as we move forward, particularly when it starts to heat up, maybe around camp time, because, brother, camps are so important for this program. And 2020, what happened with the pandemic really hurt this staff and this program and its ability to get guys on campus because we all know it's true. You might have a conceived notion about Manhattan or Kansas State, but it quickly evaporates once you actually visit Manhattan or Kansas State. So those camps are enormous. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll be out on the road. Basketball season is about to end. You'll have, we'll start seeing some more kids uh, running into track. Combines are going to start popping up here in, in April and May and even before that. You've already got the private trainers that are going to get going with their off-season stuff here, February, March. So there's there's plenty more to talk about with 2023. And like we've said, Fitz, it's going to be a special class locally. So a lot of kids that we can touch on, a lot of kids that we will touch on, touch on. Uh, at gopowercat.com. And most of the good stuff, particularly with recruiting, is behind the paywall. So make sure you're a subscriber to gopowercat.com when you click the stop button on this podcast, go over to GPC and click the green join button and pick your deal. You can get 30% off a monthly annual subscription, or excuse me, an annual subscription. You can get 30% off an annual subscription or a dollar for your first month of a monthly subscription. Pick your deal at gopowercat.com and join the GPC family. Wally, we're coming up on starting our fifth year on the network. It just seems, how? How's it been? We've been over there for almost five years now. Huh. It's awesome. And, uh, and the people we work with are great. I mean, the database is awesome. And from a recruiting standpoint, uh, the national guys uh, on, on this beat just put in a – there's a ton of collaboration and communication. So I, I love and trust uh, what we're doing with our rankings. So, yeah, more of that to come in 2023 and beyond. Thank you for listening to the PowerCat Podcast. Make sure you're subscribing to our show at Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. PowerCat Podcast. All rights reserved. GoPowerCat.com. Mm -hmm.